Mexican. I'm originally from Mexico City, and I've been living in the States for the last, I don't know, maybe 14 years, 15, so it's a long time. I feel very comfortable in the United States, particularly in the Northwest, where I've been all this time, um, but I'm Mexican. <laughs> that's that's who I am, and um, my relationship to Mexico and also the Global South is very important. Like, I am very aware that I grew up in a third world country and that means a lot in, in terms of how I see the world and how I navigate the world um, and the different stories that intersect in those countries. Um, I'm a hybrid being, that's how I feel. I'm a combination of a lot of different things, not only in terms of nationality um, or like cult culturally, because I feel like I've been able to live in cultures that are different than mine, um, but also like in, I like thinking about this, this concept of being a hybrid as something that applies or I try to apply to every single aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, something that I resist very strongly and firstly are categorization. And even if probably the only way I feel comfortable identifying is being Mexican, everything else just I don't, I usually try to shake it off, including being queer, which is also the most comfortable way I can call myself. I don't necessarily feel like lesbian or gay or bisexual or any of the other terms that people use feel appropriate. I feel queer is the one that feel most appropriate, but even that I resist a lot. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I'm always doing <laughs> in general. Resisting. <laughs> Resisting, like, even, even if it's um, things that potentially are sources of power or strength, um, I feel like I'm always trying to shake them off. Mostly because I see the dangers sometimes in um, identifying yourself too strongly with something. Mm. Uh, because I think like on the other side, I'm, I'm a, like, I have a deep sense of humanism in which I like to connect to all kinds of beings, you know, not only human, but others too. Mm. Um, and I think anything that prevents me from doing that, I, I start fighting. Um, so there's that that's running there. Mm. And that's a long ramble. I'm glad you said it was a <laughs> ramble. It's encouraged. <laughs> um, so that's about myself. And um, I um kind of on the same lines, one of the ways I identify as an artist. I love making artwork and getting to a place where I am 
like where I am in terms of like my practice and my work has been a really long battle. Mm. Um, um, just calling myself an artist was something that was really hard for many, many years. And I had to do a series of things to actually um, feel entitled to call myself an artist. And when I look back, I see that a lot of those things have to do with growing up working class, growing up in a family where, you know, my parents didn't finish, um, only finished elementary, like um, middle school, mm. so they didn't go any further than that. And then being a woman, and then coming here and being an immigrant, and becoming a person of color, because, you know, when I was back in Mexico, I didn't know I was that. Um, so I had to, like, do a whole lot of things um, to get to a place where I'm like, it's okay to be an artist. Um, it's okay to call yourself an artist. So that, that's been a, a, like a, a battle that I don't take lightly, that I take seriously. Um, but that, that's only one thing I do. Uh, I, I really love doing art, and I feel like it's probably what I am most invested in. Um, but I play music, and I do other kinds of community-based work, work that people would call activism. And I see all of that as all of the things I do as a way I am trying to change culture and try to have an impact mm. in the culture I live, even if it's in a small scale, say, my neighborhood or the city I live. But I, I, I like to, to think of myself as more of like cultural worker um, because I'm really invested in like the idea of changing the culture we live in um, because it's, I mean, that's... I guess we all know there's like a lot of really oppressive um, things about the cultures we live in. So, um, and I don't know, my work, it, let's see if I can find a way to describe it that's easy. Um, I have a history of being a painter and a printmaker, then I got tired of that. Not of the practice itself, but more of the the loneliness of it. Mm, interesting. Like of, of especially the painting, which is something I did for many years, and it's something that I love doing. I felt like it was just too lonely of a practice. Um, and also because on the side I was doing a lot of work uh, on immigrant rights, on human rights, and it just felt like, like I was, like the, the things I was doing were on really opposite ends of, you know, of of work. Mm. Um, and then I started looking for ways to work more collectively, and I started mu doing murals and then video, and then that led me to what I do now, which I guess in the world could be labeled as social engaged art, which is something I resist to to <laughs> label my artwork in any way. Um, but that's what I do, and uh, and um, and something I learned recently, mostly through going to art school. I feel like I was exposed to this way of thinking in which um, art is not seen as 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 um, as an activity you do to create products that feed a market, which is the most conventional way of looking at art. Mm. But like I really believe that art has a social role, and that social role doesn't always have to be activism. It can be other 
ways of um, playing a social role. And I do feel like a, as a responsibility somehow to 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 um, to have my artwork have an impact that goes beyond like a very restricted audience or like a very restricted um, system of circulation. So one thing that I'm always looking for is like access, access. How can I give um, more people access to mm. art making or an art experience or engagement with art and how I can give my work a wider circulation rather than the more conventional ways of circulating art. So those are things that I'm always looking for. Um, I like to work in contexts where um, I like put my body to understand how, for example, like a, a, a place works, you know, what kind of relationships are at, 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 um, at work. And then from there, I start like letting some artwork emerge, mm. um, which has felt like a very liberatory process from what I was doing before, um, because now it's it's like more like a research tool. Like I walk into a group of people or a space, and then you know you start like investigating what's going on, and then from there you you can create a, an artistic response, as I call it, that's not bound to any medium. And I don't even have to create the artwork. I feel like I can invite people I respect and admire to create. Um, artwork as this as part of this artistic response mm. uh, but there's an artistic vision to that response so that's why it's still art even if I'm not doing it um, and a lot of times I do but if I don't do it it's still art and it's still uh, part of my artwork so I really like that mode of working it's a little exhausting yeah <laughs> because you gotta be like responding to a lot of different factors but at the same time it's fascinating it's fascinating um to see the possibilities that can just emerge from mm. that way of approaching a situation, which is much more like a research-based process, which I also enjoy a lot to use art as a tool for research, mm. um, which I believe it is. You know, I feel like through art we're constantly investigating the world and the things we care about and the things we are invested in and creating responses to that. It's not just like an activity, which is usually the way people see it. Oh, you do art, you paint, or you, like, you know, do ceramics. or, But it's not that, um, for me at least, and I don't think it should be only an activity. I feel like it, it has wider possibilities mm -hmm. if, if you open those possibilities up. So that's kind of what it is. So I still do a lot of painting and a lot of printmaking, and, you know, I've done publications, but sometimes I just create situations and that's it. That's what the artwork is. Um, I'm really interested in issues of visibility and invisibility because I feel like ever since I was little, I, I, I struggled with that, with feeling invisible. And that just became really intense when I moved to the States. Like I just won a lens that I didn't have when I was back in Mexico. Like I realized like how invisible some people are how dehumanizing that is, how much people internalize this feeling of like being invisible and, and how much damage it does psychologically to people. So I'm really, really invested on like those dynamics of who's visible and who's not and why. And why would we either train ourselves or decide 
to render some people invisible, what purpose that serves. Because I do feel like it is by design, it's not random that mm. some people are rendered invisible. Because then we're not comfortable, you know, if I learn not to see the homeless people in my town, then I'm not uncomfortable about the fact that homelessness exists. Or if I don't see the immigrant workers that are cleaning and keeping the city functioning, I don't have to think about them and what they go through. You know, if I don't see the indigenous peoples because they are in the reservations, I don't have to think about the history of colonization of this country. So I do feel like there are, you know, uh, systems that have been designed so we just can go on our life, on with our lives without having to think about what's happening around us. Mm. Um, so I feel like a lot of what I do is trying to lift a little bit of some veils and create some. Um, and I kind of enjoy this 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 forced visibilities that sometimes <laughs> I, I, I implement because it's. Um, I think that, uh, that that it's also there's something really beautiful that happens when you realize that you are sharing the space with other people, and that our struggles are actually not isolated; that they are bound to other peoples, and mm. that we have histories also that in common. So I, I feel like that's something I've been going after for a long time: these sort of tensions between visibility and invisibility. And it's very personal because I feel like you know I. I I have experienced that. I have experienced, you know, feeling invisible for many reasons or wanting to be invisible because sometimes it's also a safety mechanism. You don't want to be visible because there are risks about that. Mm. Um, and it's really, it's really um, disturbing when you start seeing those at play, when you are kind of playing um, those, that game. And so it's, it's something I'm really interested in and I'm always thinking about um, yeah I guess that's kind of what I can say (laughs) 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 can you maybe give us an example of a type of um, quote social engagement work or something that you're developing or have done recently that's in relationship to what you just talked about going beyond the art and the mural and Mm -hmm. uh, the paint you yeah. know, like what? Are, what is some type of examples of that work yeah. that has been interesting? One thing I did a long time ago, but it's like one work that I am really fond of. Um, I did something at the Portland Art Museum where um, we uh, I, I did it for like an event that they used to have, which was called Shine a Light, mm-hmm. which was a lot, like a a night of participatory works. Um, that used to like attract, I don't know, thousands of people. It'll get the museum will get crazy full with people. Um, and what I did for that event was that I um, I met a crew of landscapers that have been doing the landscaping work in the museum for like fifteen years or more. They were always there, like every year for like a few months, and. Uh, and they were all immigrants from different parts of Latin America. And I just started talking with them. First, I was interested about, like, you know, what kind of relationship they had with the museum because they were there all the time. And I was just curious whether they, they had been inside or they were interested in what, you know, this place was. Uh, because 
I'm thinking of the museum of art as an institution, not only like as a place where you go and see art, but also like, you know, all these different relationships at place and social, economic, political relationships. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know, it started very kind of organically with me just like chatting with these people and then, you know, I invited them to come into the museum to the the workers who were interested because not all of them were. So the, the project just kind of evolved from that, the relationship, and it ended up being um, like an event in which I asked the museum to let me, let some of those workers pick some spaces in the museum, whatever they wanted to pick, and have them, um, have the, the, those spaces be named after them in a way that was exactly the way they name every single space in the museum. Because at the Portland Art Museum, every single space has a name. The foyers, the staircase, the galleries. And it's all donors. Like all people <laughs> that have given a bunch of money to the museum. Yeah. So what I was trying to... And that's like a good example of the visibility and visibility because I felt like for the museum, these people didn't exist. They walked into their work and they left without ever seeing them because I felt like not until I did this project, they realized, oh, these guys have been working here for 15 years. In the context also of the museum, like doing a lot of publicity to their efforts to read the Spanish-speaking and immigrant community, which for me was like, yeah, but, you know, there are these people that (laughs) also need to be acknowledged as such. So... So we did that, and for me it was very important that the signs look exactly the same. And they were temporary; they didn't stay there for, but, but at least um, the thing happened, and we reinaugurated these these uh, galleries in the name of some of these workers. Mm. And it was like it it worked very well. That project worked very well for many different reasons. One is like because it really uh, illuminates these ideas about visibility and invisibility that I've been talking about. But also because visually it was really interesting to see, you know, the golden letters that said Arlene Schnitzer, which is the patron of the arts in Oregon, and every single theater and, like, whatever museum, it's, like, has something named after her. And then, like, I don't know, whatever, Jose Gonzalez, right by it, right? Because that communicated something. When you see a name that's absolutely out of place, because it is, no, there is nothing that's named with, you know, that, with those words, you know, with... Um, um, then that also, like, I felt like people got it when they saw the signs and they realized, oh, there's Arlene Schnitzer and then there's some guy that's called Jose Martinez who's the landscaper. And also the you know, issues of labor, you know, what gets recognized and why, mm-hmm. what contributions get recognized in an institution and what, which one doesn't, you know. And, and it's evident why, because money counts more than labor in this case. But... Um, so that project I'm very, very fond of, also because it, it, it's like um, I, I work in that way, like in which I meet people and I spend a lot of time building a relationship with those people I want to work with mm. in a way that I am trying to not do anymore because it's, it's, it's not very sustainable <laughs> sometimes emotionally. But it's, 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 it's a way of working that I have developed, which I, like, show up, and then I start, like, you know, learning and talking with people. And I've done a few projects like that where I just show up in a space or a situation, and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And then from there, I, something starts to shape. Um, so I don't always have an idea of, like, oh, I'm going to do this in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't work very well, like, 
that for me. I kind of need to know what's going on and who's there and what kind of relationships people are having, what are they thinking. And then from there, I like, oh, okay, so this could work out here. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, because another way of working in the arts is like you have to write a grant, so you have to propose something. So I'm training myself to do that, to have an idea and develop it beforehand. Um, How's that working for you? It, <laughs> it sort of works. I feel like every single time I do that, I have to change a lot of things. <laughs> because I am not very good at, like, also forcing a vision. I mean, I, if, especially if I'm working with people, I could decide, you know, that this will be great for them. But they are going to do with what you propose, whatever people want, you know, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And I'm not very good at forcing a vision, so I like to meet folks like in the middle where I'm like okay this is my vision but if it doesn't work out for you that let's let's figure something out um and I think fortunately enough like a lot of those grants have enough flexibility enough room to let you change things um because it always happens so it's not going too bad, but uh, it's going good. I think it's going good. I'm, I'm getting there where I'm able to propose more things and, and secure funding for things, which is one thing I guess that's useful. It's important. Mm-hmm. And have you um, found yourself able to um, to navigate sustaining your life, your livelihood as an artist, like completely? Like, um, do you have any challenges? that you're interested in talking about in respects to actually mm-hmm. staying alive as an artist? <laughs> I do. I feel like I have made it work. Um, I'm also not afraid of working, so I do. I mean, I've done a lot of different kinds of work, so I am fortunate to have a lot of different skills. So I do interpretation and facilitation and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, I mean, it, it, I'm always hustling for work. Like, I'm always looking for it. And I am I feel like I've been lucky enough that I have enough. I also work a lot. Sometimes I work way more than I wish I was working. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I try to see that as a blessing. I mean, I come from a place where, like, every time I go to Mexico, like, people have no work, people are suffering. There's no work, there's no work, there's no work. And if there's work, it's paid very little. So that gives me a lot of perspective of, um, you know, what my situation is. And I realize that. Yeah, I probably will enjoy working less, um, but I also have work, and I know that that's like a huge blessing. And 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 I don't get pay, paid badly. I have to be honest and say I don't get paid badly. And I'm also being able to secure, like, to find a way to find the work that's gonna pay me well. I feel like, you know, when I first started doing my own projects, I'll get a grant, and then like. I'll pay myself $100 and spend most of it in materials. And so I've, I've become a little bit more smart about how I use the money, for example. Mm-hmm. And more, and it has to do a lot with, you know, this issue of entitlement. You know, I feel like for a lot of people of color and working class folks, you know, we don't feel like we should get paid. I mean, I felt like I felt bad about taking money for my work when I was doing art. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn that it's okay. It's okay to pay myself. And it's okay to pay myself a decent living fee. Mm-hmm. Not only like, oh, I'll take $100 and that should be enough, right? 
Because I feel like we do that. I mean, I see my peers, other, you know, other black indigenous, other immigrant artists that do that all the time. Um, so I'm becoming an advocate for myself and also, you know, trying mm-hmm. to, like, help other people advocate for themselves. You know, like, it's okay to get paid. Yeah, it's and a if form people, of self-care, you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and also because I feel like there's this weird construction that artists shouldn't get paid or something. I mean, I feel like... There's some weird ideas around that. Like, I don't know that because we get to do what we enjoy, that should be enough. But it's like, okay, but we also have expenses that we have to eat and, you know, buy computers and pay our bills. So, um, so I'm also becoming more firm about like, yeah, I'll do that, but I need to get paid and I need to get paid decently. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just take peanuts. Um, and for some people, it's more of a struggle, you know, to get there than others. Yeah. And I'm aware of that, you know. I, that for me hasn't been easy to get to a place where I value my own work and where I um, kind of demand what I need for it. And I also, you know, I know that when I do something, I'll do it right. Mm-hmm. So it's also being accountable, you know. I know I'll do it right and I'll do it in time. Yeah. And if things change, I'll be responsive. So, yeah, you learn things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been able to create any work in Mexico? Uh, Not yet. I've been doing things that are more like... Okay, one of my dreams (laughs) in my life has been to establish more relationships between Mexican people and people on the side just because of the state of things and I feel like I mean my work has been more about that about building relationships there you know with artists with musicians with people that are doing like human rights work activists um, and then like like trying to find ways to make to have those relationships cross over here and then like the relationships I have cross over there that I see as part of I mean for me that's kind of art Mm -hmm. Um, yes and I'm like I spend every winter in Mexico and mostly when I do when I go to Mexico it's like I try to learn more music because the music I I play is Mexican Mm -hmm. and it's very specific of a region of Mexico in the south so not a lot of people know how to play that music here like the instruments you can find them here so when I go to Mexico, I try to spend time learning more of the music, spending time in the communities where the music's played, um, getting instruments, because I know I don't have access to that here. So that's part of what I do. But also, like, I am, I get involved in stuff, like, um, like last, no, no, that, that wasn't last year. In 2014, there were um, these 43 students, this number it's like the thing where people recognize them that were disappeared while mm-hmm. they were um attacked by local police forces in the it's, it's in a, in a in the southern state of Guerrero which is the poorest state in one of the poorest states in Mexico uh with a really like high um indigenous population um so these students were attacked and you know they've been disappeared since then which is like being like a huge um it's it's like a huge open wound, I feel like, for a lot of Mexicans. And I've 
I have a really close relationship with their parents that, you know, it's part of a long story, but I have a really close relationship with their parents. So I've been really involved in their movement for the last few years, um, which touched me very deeply for, for many different reasons. But the fact that young people are disappearing in Mexico without trace, when actually, you know, they were detained by local police forces and they disappeared when they were in detention. So that points to a state crime. Mm-hmm. Um so that's I've been really involved in that, and I've done some projects with, with you know, in that context. That that people here, for example, get really excited and they 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 call them art, and I I'm like no, that's not mostly because I I feel very hesitant to. Like the projects I started with those people. I didn't because I didn't I didn't walk into that movement as an artist and like thinking that I was going to get a project out of that. But I guess one of the beautiful things that happens is like with this idea of the the, the, the way you train to have an artistic response to something is that that happens. You mm-hmm. walk into a situation and then you realize that you start making connections that other people don't make. And and that's because you you come with this this like um, artist mindset. Um, so, so the, the projects look like artwork, but that wasn't the intention to, I was just trying to contribute and to do something from the place of, this is something I can bring that other people might not bring. Mm-hmm. And it looks artistic because I am an artist and that's what I do. And that's how I see the world. And that's how I make connections in the world. But I'm really hesitant. I mean, they're not in my website, even if people like, I feel like when I when people learned about those projects here, like you know, in the context of a conversation, people will be like, "And she did this amazing artwork with the parents of the disappeared students," and I'll be like, "Oh my god, it's not an artwork," <laughs> but but I can see how it looks like that mm-hmm. because I was just making connections between things that um, I found you know interesting or productive. Um, and I was trying to contribute something meaningful, but but they are not on my website, for example, because I don't I don't I don't I wouldn't feel okay taking any sort of benefit from that, whether it's social or financial, like anything. So that's why I just keep them as you know I do this because this is my contribution to this movement and to what's happening you know in this context. But I, but but it's interesting when you start saying, navigating the world like that. Um, yeah. And it's I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I I am I am something that who is always like, thinking a lot about ethics. You know how do I navigate the world ethically? Not not only as an artist but as a human being and and everything I do. So that's why I feel like I put I put certain boundaries in things I do. Yeah, um, because it wouldn't feel right, you know, to. Um, and what do you feel about the state of like contemporary art um, using a lot of I feel like a lot of times just from my personal experience with art, I feel like a lot of times artists do engage in this like exploitation of trauma you know, as a point of engagement, like they're, they're coming from a good space of trying to like bring light to situation or be like activist in their approach. But, mm-hmm. um, it is kind of, um, um, 
commodifying trauma or Mm -hmm. something like that. And so it's really interesting that you bring that up. And in your practice, as you're working in the art world in America, do you, do you notice that? And is that, is that something that sets you off to like learn from and not approach in the same way? Or is this, are you just strictly working from your own inner space? Uh, like, I feel like there are certain, certain disciplines, for example, documentary photography or documentary filmmaking, Mm -hmm. where there's a tradition of like documenting trauma, you know, and it's problematic when you see... I mean, I, I, I do feel like... I was recently working with some people from the... Not recently, but a few years ago, from the Magnum Agency, which is, you know, these photographers who go to war zones. And, and I mean, those folks don't see that there's... They, they think they're actually doing something good for the, work, for the world um, by making available the images of of, you know, people suffering, whether it's inside the U.S. or outside the U.S. And I think that way of working is so established that nobody questions anything. And I wouldn't say that there's nothing bad, that there's nothing positive about it. I do think that, for example, those kind of images fulfill a role, that they do sensitize us somehow. Even if in the society we live where everything is either a spectacle or an image to just be consumed. Mm. Like, I feel like we are also bombarded by so many images that it's hard to, like, feel moved by something just because it's everywhere and there's just too much. And, um, but th- th- there are things that are problematic. Like, you know, these people make thousands of dollars documenting this suffering. And um, I always, like, question things like that. For example, you know, why, why is, <laughs> why is that okay? Why did that happen that way? Um, and then when they get exhibited, you know, it's also problematic because um, it's like you are, you are isolating them from the context, especially when they become artworks. And, mm. you know, they are standing on their own for their aesthetic qualities without any sort of context about, you know, why. Where is this coming from, and what's the situation that created this mm-hmm. image? So, I feel like there are a lot of problems around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are like different, like different disciplines. Like, yeah. I guess I need to think a little bit about this, 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 this room for trauma in artwork, because it it does have many different um, manifestations, like. There are people who do work about their own trauma because they need to do that. Mm-hmm. They need not also not only for their own sort of healing, but also as a way to show the world that you know, for example, oppression has a has, a, has an impact, and this is how it feels in people's bodies and in people's lives. I think when we're doing work that's about other people's traumas, then we have to be really careful about how we're doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should absolutely not do it. I think there are ways in which we can do it that are responsible and sensitive. I also think that there are no formulas. Yeah. (laughs) There are no formulas for doing any kind of work in the most perfect or ethical way. All we have is our values and our sense of what's responsible and what's um, respectful. 
Um, but, and, and I do think that, you know, I know a lot of people who do that, but I also know a lot of people who don't care and they are doing very exploitative work mm-hmm. and that's not okay. I teach a class about ethics at the oh, university for artists because it's something that I am so invested in and I think so much about that. And it's been really interesting for me to teach that class because I realize I don't, there's really no right way or not the most ethical way. All you can do is actually like inform yourself as much as you can and be as clear as you can about where you stand and where your values are. Because I do feel like when you walk into a work like this with good intentions, but not with a really clear idea of where you're standing, then you end up doing something that's just really messy and it's going to look bad and it's going to read bad. So that's why... to my students I'm like just have very clear where you're standing doesn't matter where you're standing because I'm not here to teach you what the right or wrong ways to do this or what they are the seven commandments of you know ethical art I'm not here to teach you that I just want you to have as much information as you can and make sure that you know where you're standing Mm -hmm. because good intentions are not enough they are not enough (laughs) and it gets really messy institutional spaces Mm -hmm. and are like are you putting institutions in check about their ethical invitation to having you in their spaces like making sure that you aren't tokenized etc and how how do you navigate institutions in that way and protect your queerness and Mm -hmm. your um, identity yeah that's a hard one particularly in Portland well, that's why I'm asking, because I've been learning. Because I feel like if I was in L.A. or some other bigger place, there will be like a hundred people like me doing the kind of work I do. Mm-hmm. But in Portland, it's very different. There's like, we are so few. Um, and it gets tricky. Um and Portland is a weird place, because we don't have the, the, the worst institutions there. I mean, other people might think different and that's fine but <laughs> at least the institutions I've worked with I think they try hard you know I know that there are others that aren't great but I don't work with those I guess I'm lucky <laughs> enough that they didn't come for things but um, but I do um, I try to think that if they call me to do something it's because they value what I bring to the table um, and I take that that 
that call seriously. Like mm-hmm. I, um, I also have a very anti-institutionalist stance. So usually, what I say, it's like things that even go against the grain of the institution itself. Um, and I haven't had any instance in Portland where like people don't take well something I say. Mm. Um, I don't know. Um, in terms of being queer, that's a, that's a, that's a funny one because I feel like I pass as no queer, mostly because I present as a femme. Yeah, and I think people think they just always think that I am straight. I guess if I was more butch or like I don't know, people would be like, "Oh, she's queer," but people always assume that I'm straight. So, which is weird because I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I still don't know how to react to that. Yeah. Like. Um, yeah, and also like because my queer identity. I'm more flexible about that than about other parts of my identity. Like, for example, race is a huge one. Gender. And, and and I think it's because of a personal development. I had to assume myself as, like, as a person of color, as an immigrant, or and as a, as a woman, of course, you know, since I was born. And I feel like as a queer, I kind of only assume myself later. Mm-hmm. Um, that I am a little bit more flexible in how that looks like in the world. Where, like, if somebody attacks me or when you know makes an attack based on race or gender I'll just like lose it and like raise hell but like I feel the queerness is something that I'm still sort of figuring out in a way how that looks in the world yeah uh-huh. mm. and so so what type of work uh, what I know you were talking a lot in the beginning about the type of work that you dive into, but can you can you talk a little bit more about your motives, where you're working towards? Like your motives, are they personal? Are they more um, political? Or do you have do you have anything that you're you feel like is driving you right now? And can you maybe talk about um, what you're feeling right now as an artist? Like what is your urgency? Mm-hmm. I think my my motives have always been a mix of personal and political. Like, I try to be very educated politically, and I think I'm highly empathetic too. So I I am not the kind of person that can just like not have a response about what's happening in the world or what I see happening in my community or in the place I live or in my society. Um, so I have to respond somehow. And I have to respond with my whole self, with my work, with my presence in the world, in my relationships, the intimate ones, the less intimate ones. So I can't detach from the political. Like I feel like it's 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 the medium I live in. It's mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's but I also bring myself and my own analysis. I am not and this is, you know, that kind of thing where I started where, like, I resist things. I resist ideologies. I resist categorizations. I resist formulas. So even in, like, the political world, when people start, like, going in a direction that I see that it's too ideological or too dogmatic or I am just like... <laughs> because I do, I do care about people very, very deeply. Very, very deeply. And I do care about people's well-being. And that's what, for me, is the most important thing in the world. 
I, I kind of don't care, you know, under which, like, ideology we create that. I do care that we create it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also seen, like, a lot of really bad uh, situations in which um, when we are not in tune with that sort of love for other people, love for your kin, love for your tribe, love for your community, love for whoever you want to love, with the intention of creating justice, you create the opposite. You create oppression. Because you're only working based on abstract ideas about what justice should be. I mean, I mean, I think the world, I think it's like full of really bad examples of that. Um, dictatorships have gone left and right, you know, and the left ones have been in the name of justice and the creation of egalitarian societies and, you know, they end up being like genocides that, you know, under that. So I feel like I'm really careful about what's driving, for example, me politically. And and and, and I try that or I, it's actually actually I can't I can't function based on abstract ideas. For me like justice it's not abstract or fairness is not abstract, you know. It has a name, it has a face, it has a feeling and it has an emotion. And that's what drives me. So I feel like at the very, very core is that 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 deep, deep care for for people, mm-hmm. for people I know, and for people that I don't know sometimes too, you know, and and um, so that's so that's why I feel like it's 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 a mix of you know being politically aware, but also being personally aware of the risks of functioning in a political world. Mm-hmm. So it's always like a like a combination of those things. Um, and then the other side of your question was, what am I doing? Yeah, like, wh- wh- what, what, is your, um, what is your intention? What do you draw into your um, actual practice through those two viewpoints, politically and personally? Like, what, activate, what has been activating you as an artist right now? Like, what are, what are some of the themes or ideas that you're grappling with currently, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like a trajectory that takes me places, but like lately, for example, I've been thinking a lot. I mean, this invisibility, invisibility issue, it's always there. Yeah. It's always, 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 always there. It's always something that I'm after. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, lately I've been thinking a lot about emotional labor and like um, how that because I feel like a lot of what I bring into my projects is emotional labor, the labor of like building relationships and making sure that things are working from a place of trust and that and that there is like a foundation of respect and which is a lot of work and I do see it as artwork, mm-hmm. but it's also very taxing and it's also invisible. Like a lot of times, people don't take that into account. I know. What's up with that? I know. And then, like, you know, like, right now, I've been doing this project in this organization that it's all for social justice and, you know, immigrant rights and labor rights and all these different things. Um, and I feel like one of my main contributions in this project has been emotional labor, even if it's an art project, you know, and there's, like, evidently results of it and artwork that has emerged, but... And I feel like I try to talk about this and they don't get it. And I realize that, oh, yeah, they don't get it because it's actually, one, it's like I feel like 
it's a feminist approach to do work, you know, when you actually bring that care. And whatever work, like work will bring us women, it's not going to be seen or recognized just because that's how things go. Um, but also because I feel like in some institutions that are managed by men, they don't care about that. They don't care about, you know, relationships between people. You know, they don't care about those foundations of respect. As long as we are out in the streets chanting, yes, we can, or si se puede, everything is okay. Even if, you know, back in our spaces, we treat each other like shit. Which, so I, I, so that, that's one thing I'm thinking a lot. And, think, and, and I think a lot about, like, especially with this project I've been doing, it's like, how do I distribute this emotional labor? How do I make people take on this burden that I'm taking and share it a little bit? Because I see how, like, it is placed intensely on some people in spaces, you know. Some people take the burden of that labor. And I feel, you know, as a woman and as a woman of color, in a lot of spaces, I'm, I'm expected to take on that. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it anymore because, I, you know, it's, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot. And, how, and so it's something I've been thinking a lot about, like, how can I do a project where I'm like, almost like, you know, liberating this emotional labor and distributing it oh <laughs> between God. people? That would be so amazing. I know. So that's, for example, something that has been like, the last few months I've just been around and around this idea. Mm. Um, another thing is that, you know, because of my condition as immigrant, I've... Like a lot of the work I've done, it's, it's, it's about immigrant rights, whether in content or in methodology or trying to sort of work in the context of this, of this movement, which I find really problematic for many reasons. And, and one of them is that, um, like, for example, lately, um, yeah, you know, like the movement likes to use a lot of phrases, like, we're all immigrants. This is a country of immigrants, which I'm always saying, you know, I don't agree with the way we say those things because I do think, one, I mean, there are two big reasons why. One is that this is not a country of immigrants. <laughs> and we need to stop perpetuating that lie. And it's absolutely disrespectful to, towards indigenous people. Um, and then two, like a lot of the immigrants are indigenous people from like Guatemala, from Mexico, from Ecuador, from Peru. I mean, those people shouldn't even be called immigrants. Mm -hmm. And when we're making these statements, we are rendering invisible these two realities. So that's been kind of like my big kind of lonely fight in, you know, the spaces where I function, which are like, especially because as a printmaker, you know, people are like, oh, print these t-shirts. I'm like, I'm not printing that. You know, I'm not. I absolutely refuse to keep like printing these messages. Let's come up with something different. I am not gonna do this. And they don't get it either. They don't get it. They love them, they they are catchy. Of course, but you you know, those are the things that I'm just like, oh my god. Um so that has led me to think about how can we talk about these issues in a way that's less less commonplace more expensive and also that opens up the possibilities of a narrative so in my head I have this project that's gonna be called border crosser because I also spent like I've, I've spent a couple of times like some days along the border area and I was very 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 impacted by 
what I lived, what I saw, what I felt, you know, the images, the sounds, the ecological aspects of having this wall built and this border, you know, like the way like some indigenous communities are broken into two, you know, and, and the kind of difficulty on the relationships among those communities. So like all the different sort of aspects of that. And I met a lot of people. I know personally a lot of people who have crossed the border and you know, crossed the desert and have done that trek. So this 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 idea of border crosser for me, it's like thinking about like crossing borders are f- as physical acts that a lot of people have to engage in because they don't have any other option. Not only you know here in the Americas, but in every other place in the world. But also like as metaphorical act, because for example, for me as a queer person, it's like a border crossing that I had to do, you know, where I, the acceptable thing for me was to be straight. And it takes a lot of courage to say I am not. And I, I'm just going to claim my right to love whoever the fuck I want to love. <laughs> you know, whoever I decide to love, which I feel like it's, it's very. It, it takes a lot of courage to to say that and to 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 be that to be queer because it's especially like where I come from, like the family, the community, society where I come from back in Mexico. It's just like not okay. It's like not okay to do that. It's like sinful. It's against any sort of moral teaching that you can think of. And I I do think like. It is part of our development as humans to cross these borders that are imposed on us, whether they are physical or like based on other ideas like gender or sexuality or, I mean, I don't know, I I think there are so many that we have to do Mm -hmm. and that it takes a lot of courage. So this border crosser idea is like an umbrella concept for like a lot of things that I think we have to do. And... And, and and that relates to, you know, the act of crossing borders physically. But because I feel like I, I've been wanting to find a way that we talk about these issues in a way that we can all relate to, you know. And if we say we're all immigrants, nobody, like not everybody can relate to that. So what can we do that people can relate and can... And, and, and that's where, for example, my queerness has come in really strong. And I was sharing that with Demian the other day when I was... Oh, and you... When I was talking about this book about the sexual practice of indigenous yeah. people, yeah. you know, because it's also like a like a frontier that I was drawn to me, that my sexuality should be exercised in this specific way that's part of this colonial history of how we are supposed to be as sexual beings, you know, these inherited ideas mm-hmm. that came from somewhere else, came from a foreign religion, from, you know, colonizers so it's like a lot of things come together in this idea of like you know like in a way I see my queerness as the ultimate act of reclaiming my belonging to this land too because I don't have to be sexual in the way that the colonizers taught us that we had to be yeah because this wasn't part of our practices to be absolutely straight it wasn't part of our practices you know the way like Sexuality was practicing in the indigenous world. What well, wasn't maybe the most queer one, but it wasn't what it's happening now, you know. Especially yeah. when I see the Mexican society, you know, the way like 
women are not taught to see, to know their bodies, to feel their bodies, to love their bodies. That, you know, that's just like some of the, you know, um, the negative consequences of this process of colonization. Mm-hmm. Some of them least examined, I think. So this whole process of me of like reclaiming my right to love whoever I want to be, the relationship I have with my body, it's like it's like reclaiming also, you know, my right to like a way of being that comes from before this process. So like a lot of ideas are kind of coming together in that. Mm. And in a way that feels really neat because I feel like this, this kind of uh, almost... Um, clumsy relationship I had with my queerness, <laughs> it, it's starting to feel like, oh, okay, I, I'm starting to see the connections that make more sense for me. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, um, yeah, when, when I start thinking about, yeah, the processes through which we become that are not only about this life, but they're about, you know, the histories of the places we come from and the histories of the places where we happen to live. When you were reading that book, were you just like, what the fuck? (laughs) I mean, was it really opening for you to realize that there's like stories and teachings that align with the way you have been feeling in your heart as far as your queerness goes? Yeah, I think that the most prevalent feeling when I read or watch a movie about those things are it's sadness, like and like a really deep sense of loss. Because I know that there's knowledge that will never be recovered. And that what I have access to, it's like a tiny little part of what used to be a very rich world. And that knowledge is lost forever. It's never going to come back. So that's, that's the first thing that comes up for me. It's like, wow, this is... This, I mean, at the same time, I feel like... I feel blessed that I have access to this. But it's also... It's also very, very... Um, the, the sense of loss is very, very deep. And, and the sense of, like, I wish I could know more. I wish I could, you know, have access to what this world was um, before, you know, this, this, um, this clash, this shock hmm. happened. It's a good way um, to put it. <laughs> so it, it, it's, a, it's a combination of emotions. On one side, it's like revelation and, you know, this 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 uh, awe that of like encountering new information, but the the awareness that you know it's only a little fragment of what was possible, mm-hmm. like what was available or what could be available. So it's like a combination of of things. Yesterday we were watching the the Embrace of the Serpent, which is this movie that I also like. It, it gives me that, you know, it gives me this deep feeling of, like, loss, mm. of, like, the languages that are lost, the ways of being that were lost, you know, in this process.
Was there a moment or decision you made in your career that you feel was a personal transformative moment? Mm, one? If you could think of one moment. Oh, I think... <laughs> I think I've done many, many. I mean, I... I left Mexico when I was young. And I think that was... A kind of a blind decision, but I, I, I think it was what I needed to do. Um, so that's one. Um, I feel like one that I did recently, that was very, very important when I finished the school. I, I didn't go to art school. And later I decided that it was something I needed to do to go to art school because I was doing art. But I feel like I just needed something to like sort of And it's part of this process of like pushing myself to claim the identity of the artist. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go to art school. I got an MFA. So I did that. But then when I finished, I was like, oh God, what am I going to do now with this fancy degree? How am I going to leave? <laughs> And the first thing I was like, I was looking for like full-time jobs. Because there's this pressure of like, the debt, and then you now you have to leave. It was all really great and beautiful, but now there's life. <laughs> and I force myself against my nature because I feel like my nature as, you know, coming from a working class family is to find stability and security as soon as you can. I force myself to try to live as an artist to make at least some of my living, which meant forget about the full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> try to start some projects, try to get some funding, and get the word around. And it has worked. I am not getting rich. I am... I still have to do, like, other things to make a living. But I've been able to consistently produce, to be an active artist, a, a, a producing artist, And I felt like that's, that's probably one of the best decisions I've made in my recent life. Mm. Like, just take that leap of faith and be like, okay, let's, you're going to be okay. Just try it. Just try it. Because it's hard. It's hard to, when you don't know anybody who's doing that, when you grow up in a place where nobody lives like that, everybody has a job that they go to and they come back and they get a paycheck. It's hard to, like, imagine that you can actually do it. Mm. And I feel like it's been really great to see that, oh, I can do it. I can do it. And now I feel like, oh, now I want to do this. I want to keep doing this. <laughs> and I don't know if, like, in three years I'm going to have to get a full-time job. But at least I feel like, you know, I've been making it work. Mm -hmm. And that feels huge. That feels huge. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure I was going to be making it, you know, that I was... That I was gonna be, I was gonna be able to continue being an artist after school. Mm. But now I'm like, oh yeah, I can do it. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> fancy, but I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's taking that chance, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to yourself, the artist you were ten years ago? Oh, that's a hard one. Um. this is like we'll translate it into an advice but 
just like to to trust myself <laughs> mm. um, to trust that i that I have the 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 material to be an artist. I feel like I spent so much time doubting myself that I was good, that my work was worth that like I would hide my work, I would do it and then hide it, really, yeah, because I just didn't want people to see it. I was like. I just didn't think I was good. And then people would say that. I was like, this is amazing. And I would just, I, I thought they were talking to somebody else. Like I couldn't, it, it's so weird. It's so weird when you don't believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Like people are telling it to your face and you're looking around for who they're talking to because you can't believe that they're telling it to you that your work's amazing. So I feel like just trust yourself, you know, just, and, and also keep working. And, and, and I feel like I did those things. Mm-hmm. Even if I, I feel like the trust was shaky and wasn't, like, solid. But, I I mean, I feel like I wouldn't be here if I hadn't trust myself somehow. And and they keep working. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Even against yourself. Against, you know, what your brain is telling you. Against your <laughs> own doubts. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And I did it, too, because I feel like that's what led me here. Mm. But I feel like if I was back there, I would tell myself that again (laughs) Mm. and then the final thing Mm -hmm. is um, the soapbox moment which if you could say one thing to the world using this podcast as your platform what would it be oh my god that's huge (laughs) if I could say one thing to the world um um it's not one thing, but it's like one thought I have, especially after the recent elections. Mm. That what we ultimately are going to have is ourselves. Like, nobody's going to come to save us but ourselves. And that means that we have to be there for each other. For me, that became very clear after that. I was like, nobody's going to come save us. Mm. We have each other. And I feel like this year has been for me like showing up, showing up for people, showing up for my friends who have kids. I don't have kids. My friends who have kids and need me as a resource for kids, their kids, you know. Mm. Showing up for like things that are happening in my neighborhood that I wasn't getting involved in. Just showing up, showing up, showing up. Because I realized, yeah, what we have is each other. That's what we have. And uh, and that we have to strengthen those bonds among each other. So when things, you know, fall apart, that's what we have, you know. Mm-hmm. It's keeping us together. So that's just one thing that I feel like, yeah. for me, it's important these times. <laughs> Oh,